When you're a child at the playground, it's pretty simple to make friends. But as an adult, do you want to be my friend isn't a line you hear too often. You're listening to Unsweet and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode 17 of season two. In today's episode, we speak to Fariha Rab, aka the Dr. Mommy, about self-worth, making friends as an adult, and how to find purpose through pain. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Whether you celebrated Eid on Saturday or you celebrated on Sunday, we just want to wish you a Eid Mubarak to you and your loved ones. Inshallah, this Ramadan was one that really truly helped you improve your spiritual connection. Inshallah, you didn't feel so alone, even though physically we weren't together. Spiritually online, I felt like such a strong presence from our community. And I also just want to thank our community. I don't think we gave ourselves a pat on the back. We closed down our houses of worship during the most blessed time of the year, and that's Ramadan. And I, I just want to thank our community for being able to host like virtual iftars, virtual lectures and everything. And it was just it was nice to be able to still feel like Ramadan is here while also not doing it in a physical matter. Just because we closed our doors doesn't mean we closed our hearts. And I think this Ramadan was the definition of that. And it's also really cool that we were able to get through our first quarantine Ramadan and have it be a success. Like we all, I think most of us, or a lot of us, I would say, have left this Ramadan with a new sense of purpose. We've redefined ourselves. And as past Ramadans, for me at least, they've been all very, very tough. This Ramadan, subhanAllah, was a lot easier for me. And I felt like I got to connect connect really with what the purpose of the month really was. And I'm glad you keep saying for me, Zaina, because I think nobody should compare their connection or their Ramadan experience with somebody else. Because again, for for myself, this Ramadan, I loved it. I honestly grew so much within this Ramadan. But let me tell you, there has been a past Ramadan where I was just depleted. I was feeling so low. My Iman was so low. So again, if you try to compare your spiritual connection with somebody else's spiritual connection, it's not gonna it's only gonna do you more harm than good. I I think the purpose of Ramadan is to be able to connect with Allah more so than trying to compare your struggles and your triumphs with his creations. And this was the Ramadan that I decided to really just speak to Allah one-on-one. I decided to take accountability. If I want to change, I'm going to make change by setting goals for myself. Exactly. And like you said, you can't really look at the person next to you. You kind of have to focus on your own journey because you'll get so distracted worrying about like, oh, well, Dunya memorized these surahs and I only know these surahs. And you kind of... 
defeats the purpose of actually trying to connect and, and make that connection with Allah. How was your Eid though? Because it, it was kind of weird, you guys, because there was really nothing open. But I will say our local masjid, and I've noticed online everybody else's, almost everybody else's local masjids kind of held like an Eid drive, like a drive through or a drive-by, whatever you want to call it. Okay, we were in traffic for two hours and because it was everybody videos. from the Muslim community to si- decide to show up and show out at our local masjid. And you guys, by the time we got to the entrance of the masjid, the cops were there and they're like, sorry, it's closed. Oh my God. <laughs> Look at your face. I know. My mom was like, what? Two hours. Two hours, oh you guys. God. We were two hours stuck in traffic and we didn't even get to go to the gym. But that to me, I know to some other people, they, they would have been like kind of mad. Like, oh, what the heck? I was stuck in two hours. But to me, I was like, whoa, look at our community, mashallah, how beautiful it is, how it just came out strong. That to me was the best Eid present ever. I think that's what our community needed. Me and my husband, we went to Costco because we don't live next to <laughs> that area. So we're like, you know what? We're still like, you know, keeping our social distance from our families to be on the safe side so yeah we went to costco and it was like the first time in a while that we just got to like chill you know yes, what i mean like not in a rush although there weren't samples we still had a good time like costco <laughs> to me is a, it's a date night i don't care That's what anyone what says what did you write in our snap it was the only place open oh, to yeah. show off your aid outfit so like girl, not? I, I wore an aid outfit but it was so hot i we couldn't wait to get home and i just changed it to my yeah. pjs as soon as i as quickly as i put on my new aid outfit i just changed yeah. back to my pjs but honestly i just want to wish you guys all a, and a blessed aid mubarak once again because again we do celebrate it for three days and whatnot mm-hmm. but i really hope you guys guys enjoy today's episode we have a very special guest who we just met recently and you know what's crazy to me that i've lived in chicago for so long yet you still meet new people oh my god chicago, yeah chicago is so big and there's so many incredible people in it, and that's why i love this platform and this podcast yeah for fariha who is our special guest today she is from chicago she is the creator and the founder of jenna circle which is a beautiful circle of women who meet um i guess a quarterly maybe monthly again we're in quarantine right now so who knows when's the next time jenna circle will meet but what the beautiful thing is she created a, basically a friendship based on spirituality and how we can connect better with one another through faith and, and whatnot and I think it's so beautiful and that's how I came across her page but in this conversation we talk even more about not just spirituality but making friendships at you know in our adult age yeah. I think it's harder maybe because we are wiser and not only that but we have more responsibilities so do we even have time for friendships we talk about purpose through pain and all that stuff it's such a good episode so I truly hope you guys enjoy it and we'll definitely let Fadi do her own introduction because she is incredible and she has an extensive resume mashallah you ready to dive in Zaina? let's do it Thank you so much for joining us today, Fariha. I'm really excited to talk about, you know, just self-worth, friendship in adulthood and everything in between. I think these topics are really relatable to women our age, like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and even late 30s and whatnot. So if you would like to just introduce yourself and then we can get into it. Yeah. So my name is Fariha Rub. I'm a physician um, in Chicago. Uh, my husband and my two kids, we all live here, and we actually travel for work to a rural town to work during this whole pandemic, so it's been pretty exciting. I'm also the founder of Jenna Circle. Um, it's a halakha group based here in Chicago for women. Recently, I've gotten really into my Instagram. I have a handle, the Dr. Mommy, which I'm trying to share a lot about kind of what the things we're discussing about today, about self-worth, friendships, and all these other different kind of relationships. So I was born in India. And so I was raised in India till I was age seven. When I was a year old, um, my dad passed away. So my mom with four kids, and I was the youngest. All my 
siblings were much older than me. They're about 13 to 15 years older than me. And so after a couple of years in India, we migrated to America after my sister got married. And I think for me, that's when my life really transitioned. And it was a huge change for me, just kind of changing the dynamics of my relationships. We lived with my sister's family. She kind of became my second mom. And so since my mom just moved here, she didn't really know a lot about the different dynamics in America. So I would always have to go to my sister to get her permission for oh, everything. Wow. Uh, so I have to go to my sister, then I have to go to my mom. And then I had another sister and another brother. So yeah, it was really, it's a really interesting dynamic in my household. Did you feel lonely because like you are basically the baby of the family? Yeah, I felt really lonely. And my sister had two kids. So, so they were about six years younger than me. And so that was really difficult because I myself was a kid, but I had to be a role model suddenly for these two other kids. Yeah, you're like an aunt. And, yeah, I'm an aunt. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I was still a child. So it felt really like difficult for me because I went from being a baby to having these two younger kids who I have to be a role model for. And so I think I just had a really hard time finding my place in my family, uh, really finding a place where I belong. Um, because we know we were not living in our own home anymore. We were living with another family, essentially. We, My mom and I shared a room till you know, I was, I think, 15. So just a lot of different things, like really finding your place will by living in somebody else's family and in their life. I think wow. situations like that force you to grow up, like you stop being a kid once you experience things like that. And I think that kind of adds that pressure of like, okay, I'm not a kid. I'm not an adult. Where do I belong? Where do I go? What do I do? That's hard to juggle when you are a kid. Like you're juggling exactly. all these different identities and you haven't even, what, you're not even in high school yet, right? Or right. Yeah. No, I was a child. I was in elementary school. And so I think it's like also different, different when you're living with another family, because it's not like it's your own mom who can just excuse you if you're being a lazy butt, right? So you have to act as if you're at a guest's house all the time. So you have to make sure that when you come home, you're putting your stuff where it goes. You make sure that your dishes and things like that, just little things that I think really impact you differently once you, when you are a kid. And I'm very thankful for my sister for taking us in and doing all that for us. But it definitely uh, gave me a different kind of a resilience for my life, I believe. And I think overall, it served me well to be able to go through that as a child. It's like as much as she tried to make it a home, like I remember I had a room I shared with my mom and I would have like all my Barbie dolls and all my like coloring things in like one little cabinet in the room um, because my mom and I were sharing that space. And then whenever I would go home, like to school, my niece would be in there and she'd be going through all my like Barbies and my art stuff. And so I think just like having that, that you, you can have an ownership of your space. You can have an ownership of your ideas. And so I think that has a huge impact. And once we moved out of my sister's house, we lived with my brother. And once we lived with my brother, it was a little bit more felt like home. Uh, I still had to share a room with my mom for quite a while, but I think it was a lot more comfortable for, for me to kind of form my identity. So it's like, it's interesting because it's, I think for us culturally, this sounds normal. Like, you know what I mean? To live with our siblings, our to take our parents in and everything like that. But for people maybe outside of our culture, it's like, oh, that, yeah, that feels like it you. It sounds like it would be kind of awkward at moments yeah. and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like even culturally in our culture, I think it, you do have family come in, but I don't, like if you can imagine yourself as a young teen 
or like somebody in elementary school, you would never have to share a room with your mom. That's what like, I'm saying. That's the way. Anybody. Yeah, that's the difference. I don't know part. anyone who has to share a room with their mom till they're 15 years old. And that was me. <laughs> and like, I was like so into Backstreet Boys and I could not have anything out <laughs> that had Backstreet Boys on it. Uh, my mom would just go crazy. So just like different things like that. Like, you know, having to wake up for the hudges every night because <laughs> my roommate did. <laughs> that, that's awesome. But see, I mean, I guess like she did prepare you spiritually in some ways yeah. then. There is a blessing in that. But it's like sometimes like even us as teens, we can't even handle our parents when we just live in the yeah. same home. Imagine sharing a room with your parents. Yeah, I mean, I think about having to share a bathroom with my brothers and that was like, oh my God, I need my own space. <laughs> a bedroom is something like more intimate, more like this is my safe space. I need it for myself. And I can imagine how hard that is, especially on a team. But you know, it was like not really difficult to do that with my mom. I think it really built our relationship. And that's actually something I plan on doing with my kids. Wow. Um, I plan, we co-sleep right now. We have like a giant Alaskan bed. It's like the size of two king beds. Ooh. And I really like like to thrive in that environment for my kids as well. Cause I feel like it really bonded my mom and I. She was like taught me a lot of patience. She taught me a lot of self-regulations and compassion and a lot of different things that I think helped me as an adult to have that attachment with my mom. That's so interesting because people try to, you know, get their kids to a certain age where they can start sleeping alone. Because I know some kids get really attached to their parents. They sleep in the same bed and then the parents are trying to wean them off and have them like basically go sleep in their own bedroom. Yeah. But you're doing the opposite. I've never heard of that. Yeah. And I think it just depends on your spouse. Like my spouse is also very like in tune with parenting. So I think it just really works. And like for my mom, it worked because I was her partner. Um, I was her friend. She didn't, you know, my dad passed away when she was still in her 30s. Um, so I think it impacted her differently because she saw me as comfort and I saw her as comfort. And so Alhamdulillah, we both kind of had that symbiotic relationship where we both were there for each other. I love that idea and I love that concept. But how do you make sure you, you also raise your kids in a way where they don't always have to depend on you? Because you want them to one day grow up and make their own decisions. But it's nice to know that I have a parent who is someone that, I, yeah, it is my comfort zone that I could talk to my parent about yeah, everything. Think, That's nice. That's yeah. what you want. A lot of kids have that separation anxiety. So how do you mm-hmm. how do you prevent that from happening? So I think like that's the funny thing is that we try to push our kids out but to, because we don't want them to be super dependent on us, but that is what causes the dependency. That's what causes the separation anxiety. So I think if you just trust your child to believe that I can do whatever I want, what that what my child wants in this moment, and it'll still work out in the end, I think that's what's important. So I think just like not really relying on your fears because our fears just serve us to make us feel like what we should be doing or should not be doing even though internally that's not really what we feel. So I think if we can go based on the reality and just go by what we really feel intrinsically, I just don't think that can ever serve you wrong. I think that'll create like this comfort for your child that my parent is there for me and they themselves will detach from you once they're ready for that. That's so interesting. It's kind of like just giving them the tools they need to succeed and and kind of like just letting fate happen. I don't know about you guys, but like, okay, I'm 30 and I have, okay, I'm 31, whatever. I I just say 30. I still say 30. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just gonna say 30 till I get hit 40, then I'll say 40. But I'm 30 and I just feel like it's weird because this is how I feel. Like whenever, you know, because I'm unmarried, again, culturally, I still live with my parents. My mom would kill me if I decided to live on my own and whatnot. But so when I go on, let's just say a girl's trip with my sisters or whatever, even my sisters feel this way. We have this anxiety, like that 
feeling maybe it's more so guilt like we left our parents behind so then like towards like the second or third day of my trip I'm already thinking about my parents and like oh my god I'm, I'm far away from my parents I feel so bad I feel guilty they're not on this trip with us or at home like I want to go back already like is that I don't is that healthy or is that not healthy to think I'm not sure yeah I mean so like personally I feel like anytime we're acting from a place of like scarcity I feel like it becomes unhealthy, right? Anytime we're worried from a place of, oh my gosh, like if I do this, is this going to impact our relationship in a certain way? And I think that point it gets unhealthy. But I think just in generally caring for somebody because you love them so much and you're not really worried about the repercussions, but you're just have that immense love. I think that's just the mercy that we have in our hearts for our parents. SubhanAllah. That's a good way to put it. Because yeah. I always felt weird. I was like, why do I feel guilty? Like our parents are yeah. okay with us going on this trip. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. it's like guilt that you necessarily feel. Okay. I think it's like just like love that you're translating and making it feel like guilt, right? Yeah, yeah. I think that's what it is. You're so yeah. right. It's that attachment. It's that love. I don't oh, think that's yeah. unhealthy at all. Yeah, but where was Fadiha? Because I was like, I was trans- like thinking <laughs> of it in, from a guilty perspective. Like, here I am on my trip. My parents are back home. But really, it's just, it is from a place of love because I always want to think about my parents and their well-being and making sure that they're okay. But I have to realize my parents also have their own life. Yes, we were raised sheltered, like very sheltered. And I think that's why I always saw like, being raised sheltered what did it hinder me did it not but now when I've now you know coming of age and you're in your 30s and whatnot you look back on that and you realize like man mashallah I came from such a strong family dynamic Mm -hmm. like we're so close and here we are in adulthood and like I'm really close to my parents I'm really close to my siblings and because the way my parents raised us that's why I am close to my siblings I see a lot of people that aren't close to their siblings so I that's so interesting I we were not gonna even talk about this family (laughs) dynamic but I I it's just something that that's on my mind I think because yeah. obviously family is important to us regardless of what culture you come from family is super super important and I think it's important that you instill those values once they're kids so when they do grow up and they're adults they make that decision on their own like it's something that they want to be a part of and like just going back to what we were saying like I think I think so for my for me I lived with my mom till I was 15 like in the same room like she even would come with us to the movies if I went out with my friends like that's how much my mom did the same yeah yeah and so you know I think like for a lot of parents who have that scarcity mentality where they're like oh my gosh like if I don't like detach my kid from me he's gonna forever be dependent on me like they start school really early they do all these different things and I think like I'm here to prove it to you you're here to prove it to everyone that that's not necessarily the way it is um I moved out I went to college I like I'm super independent you know I do everything for myself well not now because I'm married (laughs) 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 but um you know so I think it's like if we can just nurture our children and give them exactly what they need without having to worry about the future like Qadr Allah right like we can just do what's best for them in the moment and not worry about the future and inshallah it will all work out that's true because like people do send their kids off and this isn't to say that it's wrong but they do send their kids off to preschool really early because yeah you were raised wanting your kids to be independent and you and you kind of almost correlate independence with intelligence so it's like I think that's the thing like people think that if somebody's so dependent on their parents they they don't know how to make their own decisions they're not smart they're not intelligent so I think that's why people raise their kids maybe that way Uh, this is from my perspective not everybody's perspective yeah and they think it's like a it's like a missing factor in them that oh my gosh my child is dependent on me 
but the child is supposed to be dependent on us, you know? Yeah. 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 So it's it's, it's interesting, but you know, I can understand where a lot of these fears come from because it is like the culture that we live in. A lot of people around us tell us this is what it's supposed to be like. You know, your kid is supposed to be sleeping in their own room. We have these set standards, but I think if we can just break the narrative and realize within ourselves, be introspective and think that this is a standard I want for myself. If we can just be alone with our thoughts and actually think how we want our life to be, I think you can find the answers. But I think a lot of times we're just, there's so much noise in our head without, before even going to our heads, we just look at what society is doing and just follow it blindly. And I think that's where the disconnect comes from. We honestly do. We follow society so blindly rather than looking at each of our our own homes inside of our own homes. We're different. You know, not everybody's the same, the way you were raised, the way the things that you were taught. Absolutely. I mean, like Duny and I, I would say we were raised similarly, but I don't think what how you know what would work for me would work for you I think you have to look at each household individually and I it's kind of like just because everyone's doing something doesn't make it right doesn't make it the the good way kind of going against the grain is not going to be damaging if you really into like internally think that's the decision I'm going to make and that's the right thing to do yeah and like you know a lot of uh, families I grew up with a lot of my friends who I grew up with like their parents were really like drill sergeants like tiger moms who grew their kids up to prime them to become the successful physician, uh, you know, have the life and like just all these different things. And it was just not authentic to the child. And it just never worked out. All it did was cause anxiety and a lot of turmoil in their relationship. So I think anytime we act from a place of inauthenticity and we're just doing it because that's the society, that's the culture, that's what we think is the standard is when we create this disruptness in our relationships and our mental health. Like for me, my family never really focused on that. Um, You know, their meaning of success was completely different. And I just happened to stumble upon this way of carrying out my life, my career. And so I feel like I didn't really tie my value to this entire process. Um, It didn't mean anything to me if I failed or if I didn't fail because I was in love with the process. I loved studying. I loved being in the library. And so it didn't really, the results didn't matter to me. I was not very result oriented. That's how I am. I love just studying. Like, I yeah. literally can just sit there and study. Give me anything and tell me to study. I love that. I don't know why. I wish why. I could. Yeah. We could be best friends, but yeah, because I, I do. Oh my, I don't know anybody else that loves that, but I do. Like, I, it makes my mouth water. Yes. I, think about <laughs> I told my sister today, I'm like, I just want to go back to school just so I can note take. Like, I just want to take oh, that's notes. That's what I was going to say. I wish I could pull up my high school notes and how colorful yeah. and organized and like the different highlighters. And, oh my God. Yeah. What does that really mean? Like, I wonder what that really I means like, on a deeper level. Why? I just don't care about the results. So I just want to take notes and just like busy myself, I guess. That's I so interesting. But it's it's so true because you don't want your child to have resentment towards you. Like you, I think there's a, a like a clear boundary between like, you know, guiding your child. And then like you said, being that tiger mom, telling them exactly what to do and everything. And then you make them feel less than when you compare them to, you know, their friends or their cousins or other family members. It's like, you shouldn't compare everybody's on their own journey. So I think that's super interesting. Yeah. And I think it's just like all really just goes back to our main mission. Like we're here with this idea of, Father, right? With what Allah has prescribed for us. And so I think it just all kind of ties back into that. And I don't know, are you guys like religious based? 
Yes, like you and I, Zaina, try to bring in faith in every conversation because for me, that's, you know, I heard this, this was interesting. I forgot where I heard this from. I don't know, maybe because there's just so many live sessions during the pandemic. So it's like, I've just been tuning into everybody's live. But somebody said, like, when it comes to your identity, there's different layers of your identity. But the way you shape your life is the way you, what you identify with first. So like, let me make, let me make it make sense, basically. So I'm Muslim, I'm Palestinian, I'm a woman, I'm, you know, I live in Chicago. There's just so many layers to my identity. But what I identify first and foremost with is the fact that I'm Muslim. So the choices I make, the things that I do, the relationships I cultivate is because I'm Muslim and I try to tie it back to my Everything faith. goes back to what you believe in. You know what I mean? Like what any decision you make, whether it's like waking up in the morning, the first thing you do, do I wake up and go make wado and sali or do I sit on my phone for two hours and waste? Like I feel like every decision that we make kind of goes back to those to values that were instilled in us. Yeah. Is that how you are too, Fariha? I mean, obviously you have gender circle, so you have to somehow right yeah yeah just wanted to add a slight like side note because i keep referring to that no no that's totally fine i love i can i love conversations about god about faith and everything because i've i'm just a firm believer that all of us are struggling in one way and we all can connect through our struggles and i think it's beautiful when we bring god into our conversations and i don't think we do that enough yeah and i think also living in the western world we have so many outside factors and i think any outlet that we can get that motivation to kind of bring it back to the basics of like our religion and what we believe in, I I stand by any platform sure. that would do that. So yeah. we were talking about like the whole, um, so we were talking about the parenting, the pressure that parents put on their children. So I just wanted to drop that in about like just being with, with Khadr Allah, right? And I think like if we can realign our lives and our mentality to believe that we aren't the ones in control. Our, what we can control, what's in our circle of influence is ourselves. And so the more we can try to focus on that as parents, I think like the less disruption we can have in our relationship. Because a lot of times when you when you think about families, they're trying to influence whatever their thoughts are onto their children because they think that's what that should be. That's what the quality or the standard should be. We, when we're talking about that, I think if we would just have a stronger connect with ourselves and with the creator, we can understand that it's really not in our control and ruining that relationship to make them succeed in a way that you think is successful isn't really worth it in the end. You know, it's interesting because my parents are both completely different people. Like my dad was more like education oriented, like he wanted us to get an education. That's how he defined success. But he wasn't the type that to pressure us into going to any you know specific career path or anything like that. That's why I love my dad. He really just allowed us to form our own thoughts and whatnot, but he tried to guide us. My mom, on the other hand, she, I love her to death, but for her, because she came from such a traditional background to her success, basically translated into uh, her daughters being married and having a family and cultivating, you know, all that stuff, which there's nothing wrong with that either but it was just two completely different pathways and obviously I chose the pathway of more just getting my education inshallah if I get married I get married but what I want to go back on is just like I think when you are more in tune with your creator you do realize like a lot of the things that we fight with our parents are because of cultural norms. Yeah. And there's a lot of times like, well, my mom would say something. I'm like, but it's, I'm like, but it's not haram or this is not wrong because it's not in the Quran or this or that. Like, I feel like a lot of things are based on haram or halal based upon our culture rather than our actual religion, you know? Yeah. And it's always about like, what will people say, yeah. right? Yeah. Like in Urdu, it's like, lo kya Oh, that's I know so interesting. I never heard Ur- it differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like Hassan Minaj is like, always talks about that. And so it's just, it's just so interesting interesting because it's like that's what we raise our entire society on that's what we make our decisions based on and you know the thing is i want to focus back on our generation you would think our generation is past that we are not like that's what this entire social media world is about what will people say 
what will people think, right? I have to have a certain quality of life. I have to have a certain way I look. I have to make sure my children, my house, you know, so we haven't really gotten so far from that. And so I think it's like, we always shine the light on our poor, like immigrant parents, but you know, we're, we're we guilty. Need, yeah, we're also guilty of that. And we do it to our kids too. We see what a standard that somebody else has set for them for what success looks like. And we try to impart that on our children. And yes, we're doing it in a more hippie way where it's like, you know, cooler. We're not making it about like, oh my God, you have to become a doctor. You have to get married. But we're talking about it in different ways. We're for children. It's like, oh my gosh, you're not reading yet. You have to read or the certain like schools that they get into and things like that. So I think it's definitely prevalent for our generation as well. Wow, you're the first person I've ever spoken to that like shined light on that. The fact that we're doing it too. And we put so much blame on the older generation but we need to like look at ourselves in the mirror and like we're doing the exact same thing that's so I interesting i wasn't trying to blame my parents <laughs> no no not you but we all do it though we all talk about how our parents are always we all do it every single person is talking about my gosh like i will never be like my mom and we do we just have different labels on things you know as marriage is important to them becoming uh like a career oriented person is important to them but then we put labels on different things and that's what's important to us and we try to make everybody else around us also make that important we yeah we've we discussed this part before on a previous episode how it's just so unpopular to have a different opinion than everybody else on social media like basically like you'll write a whole post and basically an ingredients with everybody else on social media but truly your heart is not attached to what you just said but you want you don't want to be that black sheep on online on social media and whatever but i feel like majority of us really don't agree with everything that's going on that's going on online or anything like that we have our own opinions but we're just so scared to voice those opinions but it's like how do we transition into that like where we become so scared and having our own opinions I think this also takes us into self-worth and I really want to talk to you about this video because I feel like you have so much knowledge on this like personal advice and tips that we can give to even younger girls because I think even just us in general like sometimes we're still struggling with our self-worth like I think it's a it's a battle that we face every single day and I think I definitely struggled with self-worth growing up. Um, once I grew up, um, I moved here from India. And so after I moved here, um, just being around this new group of friends, I didn't really feel like I uh, feel like I belonged. I had like a very extrovert personality. I felt like with the kids who were at school, I was just too brown for them. And then for the kids who were at the masjid, I was just not too Muslim for them. Like, like I just did not feel like I belonged in any single place. And I felt like I was all always just like leaps and jumps in beyond them, but they always made me feel so small. I never had, um, I did have some friends like that, but majority of the friends that I had, they didn't really ever make me see my light. They didn't see, let me see my shine. They always try to dim it. And I think when you're a kid, you let people dim your shine all the time because you think it's not cool. You know, you think you're supposed to be quiet and shy and soft spoken and, you know, you you shouldn't be outgoing and extroverted. So I think it's just a lot of that plays into effect when you're a kid and makes you feel like you can't love yourself. You don't know how important self-worth is to everything else that, you know, it ties to a lot of other things that are going on in your life, like a lot of external factors. I feel like when it comes to your self-worth, you even said this before, Fadi, how like when we were talking on the phone, like it affects the relationships that you have, like in adulthood, like even the friendships that you have. If you don't value yourself, you're only going to attract people who are going to treat you the same way. They're going to not shine the light on everything that you're doing that's great. They're going to 
to kind of belittle you, make you feel less worthy. And you're just going to go along for the ride because you think that at least I have friends. And that's like the first sign of like, yeah, you lack self-worth if that's what you're thinking. If you can't even stand alone by yourself and find worth in that and you basically value yourself on depend on who you surround yourself with, then yeah, that's a problem right there. And I think it always goes back to like, quality over quantity mm-hmm. like you, you don't need a hundred friends you just need one person that's going to be there for you when you need them and, and like you said it all goes back to when you were a kid and how you grew up and if that self-worth was instilled in you because I feel like anything that you say or do to a child will carry on one word one phrase that's something that's going to stick in their head I mean you know you were saying that you never wanted to be you never wanted to be yourself you never wanted to be out there and over talkative and, and loud and you know I'm sure you've heard as a kid like you know sit down you're being too loud or you know like calm down those things if you tell a kid constantly it becomes like embedded in their head and as they grow up they're like okay I need to be quiet I need to be shy I need to not talk you know and feel like that's something that we carry on forever and as adults we don't think it has that impact yeah I think like the funny thing was that in my family though I got tons of that, right? I got tons of the positive reinforcement. Like they loved me a lot. They always made sure they accepted me exactly for who I was. So it's it's funny because as parents, we think we can do all that, but it was the home that was, it was the environment that was outside of the home that really affected me. So it wasn't so much as my family as it was my friends because your peers, the greatest impact that they can have on you is their judgments, right? Yes. And how they talk to you and how they behave around you. And I think it just really grew anytime I had a friend who I grew really close to. And then if I happened to show a side of me that wasn't pleasing to them, I would have to deal with abandonment. And so I think it just really grew the self-worth where I felt like I wasn't good enough. If the person got to know the real me, it just started being bringing up all these fears of abandonment. And so, you know, that caused me to remain in friendships that were rooted in self-betrayal. I like settled for breadcrumbs when I was seeking a lot more. I had to hide parts of myself away and think that if I showed my whole self, it would drive other people away. And just ignoring like red flags, ignoring people's difficulty with emotions, people's difficulty with being vulnerable. So these are all the issues that people around me had, but the way that they projected that onto me, it made me feel like I was the issue. And so if I dimmed myself a little bit more, then maybe they would stick around. So I think like that's the biggest thing I would impart on other people is that a lot of times it's not us, it's the other people and the part in their healing that they are in, the self-growth that they're in. And a lot of times when we're a little bit more softer on the inside, we take their words they're hurt as our own. And we think that's the problem with us. And that's not necessarily truth every time. No, I think that's why self-worth takes a lot of internal work. I think it really starts in with you by yourself and figuring yourself out and realizing that you are worthy. And the thing is, it's like, I think all of us struggles when we were younger, like in high school and everything, you just wanted to fit in and fitting in meant you had to belittle your own self. You had to bring yourself down, tone your own self down. And yet it's like, we couldn't even be able to translate. Like these are not even friends that are good for me because this is, I feel negative around them. I feel down around them. So why couldn't I channel that and understand like, okay, then these people are not good for me. Rather what I did was abuse my own self verbally and make myself feel little because I was not good enough for these people who still didn't even make me feel good. 
I mean, I think it's like a really long, long-term process. You know, I think rejection, a lot of times growing up, I felt that within the girls in my community over and over again. And I think that's what really propelled me to succeed outside of my relationships. Every time I felt like I was rejected and broken down, it lit a fire inside of me. And not so much to get back at them, but like just to invest my energy, my vibes, all of that into something beneficial. And I think as life went on, I kept having these relationships where I would have like conflict where it would come into, it would come and start destroying at my self-worth because I would just internalize the issues in our relationship. And I would think, oh, maybe if I wasn't this way, then this relationship would work out. Maybe if I wasn't like this, this friend would stick around. Maybe if I didn't show my ugly sides, this friend would still love me. And so I think I kept doing that. And then it wasn't until a couple of years ago when I started getting therapy, when I started reading books, when I started just working on myself, I realized that it's not all me, right? The other person has to take responsibility for the actions as well. And I think working on myself really helped doing that, seeing the sides of me that I didn't like and working on those. And then once I took responsibility for those actions of mine, for the parts of me that I didn't like, I came face to face with them. And I said, I acknowledge you. These are the parts of me that aren't my shortcomings. I'm going to work on them. I came face to face with them. I started working on them endlessly. I literally would write down on a piece of paper all the different things that I think are like my shortcomings. And I would just write down every single thing that I feel like came in between me and my friendships for making them not successful. And I started working on those things. And eventually all of working on those things helped me build my self-esteem because it made me feel like, wait, I am doing the work. So when there is a relationship that is not working out, there's a friendship that's not working out, I'm not so much digging at myself and thinking what's wrong with me. I'm looking at it as from a outside perspective. I'm looking at this relationship as a whole and I'm thinking, hmm, okay, what part of this are you taking responsibility for? What part of this is my job and what part of this is your job? And I think having that conversation with yourself helps you not internalize all the issues as your own. I think the big part of it is also this whole cultural and religious thing that we bring into our relationships. Uh, When we're parenting our children, we tell them that a good Muslim is the one who gets along with everybody. A good Muslim is one who um, has all these different friendships and community. And you think that's what you kind of define for your child as what success as a Muslim is. And I think that make for me, for my child, I'm always going to make him understand that it doesn't matter if you aren't getting along with every single person. You're still a good person. You're still whole. Even if other people don't like you, you are still loved. So I think having that strong, strong understanding that it's not your relationships that make you a good person or not. It's you who makes you a good person. I want to go back to Fariha to what you were saying, because I think we don't give credit enough to our uh, mental chatter. And I'm not saying credit in a good way, but it can really, truly overpower us. This inner critical voice can really, really bring us down. It can really influence us in making the bad decisions and making choices and having relationships with people that are not even meant for us, that are not worth our time. I like how you talked about the fact that, you know, you should hold yourself accountable, but in a way where you give yourself constructive feedback rather than 
criticizing yourself. I think, honestly, like if we don't want to take verbal abuse from someone else, why do we still do it to our own selves? I think we do that often when there are failed relationships, there are failed friendships. We start to really internalize that rather than I love the way that you do it, where you're looking at like, okay, you know what? I think this was my shortcoming. And then this is how I should work on it. And this is what I'm going to do. And inshallah, I'll be able to, you know, enter a new friendship and realize that I can work on this and it'll be easier for me to just maintain this relationship with this person inshallah but sometimes like those people come with their own shortcomings and their own baggage so we shouldn't be able to take their baggage and pile it onto ours right we should really just focus on our own shortcomings and work on that and i feel like it also ties back to like self-compassion I was never taught that. Not that, you know, we came from bad childhoods or bad homes, but we weren't taught self-compassion. And I think that's what really can truly hush our inner critical voices, the ones that tell us that you're not good enough. You're the reason why you don't have friends. You're the reason why this or that. So did you ever feel like that kind of also intertwined with you trying to find, validate your self-worth? Yeah, for sure. I think like we're not really focused on self-compassion because you're always taught to be compassionate to others. So anytime there's a conflict in a relationship, you are always taught to be a good person. You should give the uh, lend the olive branch. You should always say sorry. You should always take blame. And so I think over time, after you're like uh, even to a kid, you say, oh, go say sorry. You don't know if the kid did anything, right? But you just want them to patch it up. You as a parent feel uncomfortable. You don't want to sit in that angst that your child is feeling left out. So you just want them to make up. So you say, oh, it's fine, fine. Let's just go buy them a gift. You can go say sorry and we can just get past this. But no, it doesn't necessarily need to be like that. We can be compassionate to ourselves. We can say, you know, I gave my best shot. I love this person. I also love myself and I love myself enough to walk away from this. Look, basically respect yourself and your feelings and your emotions because you have that as well. Like you should also appreciate these things about you and take time to, you know, really like hone in on these things because I feel like a lot of times we try to show appreciation towards others and we forget to show appreciation towards ourselves. So it's like, how can we build friendships if we're not even building our own selves up? You don't want to obviously be egotistical or narcissistic or anything, but like, shoot, at least love yourself a little bit, you know, before putting yourself out there. This brings us to like friendships. I think this is like the one thing and I like where we see in our DMs like oh my gosh you know it's really hard for me to make friends and it's like I totally understand your pain and your struggle because I think when it comes to adulthood it's 100% really hard to make friends because now you have 10 million other responsibilities but then at the same time you still want to make room for friendships cultivating friendships when did you like feel like this is something that you need to work on where you're you need to start surrounding yourself with people that really value you as much as you value them Yeah. And I think that's the whole part of this. When your energy, your vibes come to a place where it's peaceful, where you yourself feel whole, you start attracting those kind of people within you. So I think you don't really have to go and search for those kind of friendships. When you work on yourself, those relationships kind of come into place. And I think, and I think it's, a little bit difficult in the beginning because you're used to this like traumatic friendship, these ups and downs, these, you know, these um, loud conflicts and things like that. And I think once you come to a place where you heal, you attract friends that are good for you and you're good for them. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful place to be. And I think that's going back to what Dunya was saying was like, you have to be your own best friend before you can befriend other people. You have to have that self-love and confidence. And I don't think that, you know, we have to wait until we gain that self-love and confidence. It's okay to 
trial and error. Like go out, meet people, try to make friends. And if it doesn't work, then, you know, so be it. It's, it's okay to, like you said, it's okay to unfriend people. It's okay to move on and, and let it go. I think like it's so true, Fariha, because like I think your childhood friendships kind of traumatized you because like, you know, we were, it's, it was very clicky. It was high school. It was this, it was, it was college even. Like it, it was not the best of friendships. So it kind of allows you to put a guard up. And then I think, you know, if that happens, fine, but take this time to really work on yourself because right now the friend group that I have, I don't, I, I feel like I don't even like calling them my friends, I like calling them my family because that's what they've become. And you know what? It was not forced friendships. It was not forced relationships. SubhanAllah, like I think when I started working on myself and I started valuing my own time and my own worth, they gravitated into my life. And we, we basically all gravitate into each other's lives. And mashallah, like we're just, we all have the same values, the same upbringing. We enjoy each other's company. And when we spend time with one another, there's times where like you are out with your friends, but you feel like you wasted your time. And that's not the type of friendship you want. When you're out with your friends, you want to feel like, wow, I gained so much value from just hanging out with them today. We had such great and amazing conversations. I feel, I feel like sometimes I even grew as a person. This doesn't have to be every outing. Sometimes you just go out and have fun. But if you ever feel like you're out with your friends and you wasted your time, then that's something that you have to really work on because you have to realize like maybe those are not the right friends for you so subhanallah it's it starts within you and then you start to realize that everything starts gravitating towards you that's really meant for you i think when you get older and you look back at like the friends that you had when you were younger and in school those weren't friends that you chose. It was kind of out of convenience. Yeah. Like these are the friends that live close to me. These are the friends that I can walk next door to their house. And you know, they're friends made out of convenience, not necessarily out of like real friendship. Now we're adults and we're not in high school and we're not in college. And we have to understand that like to those who are listening who feel like they're struggling and finding their friends in adulthood, don't be ashamed. I think a lot of us look online and we see everybody has their tribe. Everybody has their girlfriends where they take million selfies with and they always got to dinner with. But it's like... Don't don't base your worth upon somebody else's life and where they are. And you don't know how their friendship is. You don't know if those girls are all really close with one another. All those women are close with one another. I feel like these days it's difficult for us at our age because, again, there's a lot of responsibilities that come with age. Some of us might be married. We might have a career. So it's like, and you have kids and all that stuff. So it's, it is much harder to have friends into adulthood. Yeah. But it's like, how can we help those women that want to find their tribe? Like, what can you do to find those that you know that group of women that you can call your friends almost like sisters right and i think like part of that is also changing our standard of what a friend looks like right like like you described this friend group that goes out like you know you go brunching with them you go do all these fun things with them and i think like changing our standard of or our definition of what a friend is like you can even have like one single friend you know they say like they say that you see hear a lot of quotes about it like so true where when it comes to friendships it's quantity over quality and I think if we can just remove that image from our head that it has to be this group of girls that are like four or five girls like all like you know talking and hanging out all together it can just even be one friend that can be life-changing for you and so I think even looking back in your own relationships and maybe looking at your own friends that you already have on your phone and thinking like, hmm, was there a friend that I have never maybe invested in? Maybe they were trying to be my friend and I haven't really given them the time of the day because maybe I was in a different place, they were in a different place. So I think it's even going back to the friendships that you already have and really investing in those friendships can also be very beneficial. 
That's so true because I have one friend who is literally she's like my sister. It's and it's crazy because we knew each other when we were younger, like you know, again in our teenage years, and now here we are as grown women. And I swear to you, like she's literally like my sister. And you would have never thought, like just because somebody was from your past doesn't mean that they're like you know maybe on the same pathway as you now. Maybe you guys like just went on different pathways at one point, but now you guys are like you know being able to reconcile and find one another. It's awesome. It really truly is. But it's like. How do you know you're surrounded by toxic friends? Is it just the way that they make you feel? Like, I mean, you've probably felt like you were in circles like that where you thought they were your friends, but they're basically toxic. I mean, we've all been there. I think the way really to determine toxic friendships is when it comes to uh, how they deal with conflict, how they deal with emotions, how they deal with your upsets. So I think, um, you know, like words like gaslighting come to mind. Um, And it seems like something that, you know, you only see from somebody who has like a lot of issues, but I think gaslighting is super common where a lot of times friends um, and girls do this a lot where we, if, if I go up to my friend and I say, man, this makes me feel really sad. You know, I wish that you would, whatever the case is, like, I wish you would uh, ask me to hang out more often, or I wish you would text me. The way your friend responds to you is what changes everything. Because a lot of times we respond, not hearing what the person's saying, but responding to what we think we should say. So we just get defensive. We just talk about what we see, how we see the situation. And so I think like, even with my child, I practice this a lot. When my son says he's hungry, even though he's just eaten, I'm not going to say you're hungry, but you just ate. I'm going to say, Oh, you feel hungry. Hmm. Okay. Why do you think you feel hungry? So I think it's a lot of times in those friendships, that's what we have to talk about. It's not about that person being upset and what you did or you did not do. You don't say, oh, but I just I just invited you last week. Instead, you ask them more questions, more curiosity. So it's more about being in love with this person and asking them their woos, right? Rather than defending yourself. Um, feeling that comfort that this friend has my back and the fact that they're feeling sad, I want to know more about it. And I think a lot of friends, you know, where we do this ourselves, I do this too, where I think we can improve our friendships because we make it more about us than the other person. Um, and I think it needs to be more about the other friend. And that's how you can tell the quality of a friend. And also a friend who's willing to be introspective of their faults. Like, you know, for me personally, my healing took place when I started looking into my childhood, finding the root of all my issues, uh, the connections, the parallels. And that's what made me a really good friend is because I know what my triggers are and I, my friends know what my triggers are and say, so they know that, oh, if this is happening, we need to speak with Freya in this certain way. And I think if you can make somebody feel secure in their triggers, that's what really deepens your relationship. It makes you feel comforted and your triggers start to go away. They start to dissipate once you have that comfort within your friendship, when that security and the friends I don't have that security with, we constantly are in conflict versus my friends who I do feel that security blanket with. We hardly ever get into fights. We go years and years without fight because you always have positive intent for that person. You always believe that they will have your back and they want the best for you because you feel security in that relationship. They care to ask why you are feeling the way you are, why you were triggered in that moment. How could they have made the made you feel better or something like that? Just asking those type of questions, like having friends. It's not friendship isn't about somebody who can call you up every single day and go and hang out with. Yeah. It's on a deeper level. Like these people need to be able to benefit you in some way where you know they are there for you when you are feeling down or low or where you're dealing with your own emotions behind closed doors. You want that type of friend that respects you, respects your boundaries, and is there for you. Like I think that's you know when you become an adult, you 
realize like that's what you need. You don't need somebody that just to go out to dinner with. Nobody needs that. You have your husband, you have your family and everything like that. You need somebody that really understands you on a deeper level. I think that's that's what it is when right. it comes to friendships. Yeah. And you For mentioned sure. something about how we communicate with each other. And I recently listened to something about the difference between you and I statements. You know, it really makes a difference on how you talk to someone, the way that you talk to them. You know, I could tell Dunya, you were late and, you know, it's so selfish when you're late. But that, instead of saying, you know, putting all the blame on Dunya, I can be like, Dunya, I felt lonely because you, you know, or yeah. I felt like you didn't appreciate my time. Like changing the way that we speak to each other really impacts the relationships that we have and how the other person feels toward like, you. Like don't put them in defense. Exactly. Moment, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that's something I talk about one of my Instagram posts. I think like every time we, if we imagine like we're holding a rock and every time we say you that as if we're throwing the rock at the other person and they're putting their arms up, right, to defend themselves. So if we instead can hold the rock close to our heart and just say, I feel, the other person will let their guard down. They will feel soft towards you. They will they will just listen to you. They'll tune into you instead of just worrying about, oh my gosh, like what is she about to do or throw at me, right? And I have to be in this defense mode. And so when you go into your soft side and you just say, you know, I feel I'm seeing the situation like this. Is this true? Is this what's actually going on? And I think that's the biggest thing is that in a lot of our friendships, our relationships, we're afraid of confrontation. We think that being a good friend is just letting things go. And that's not what it is. You have to be able to speak what you feel as soon as you feel it. So it's not about making a mountain out of a molehill. It's about feelings, expressing your emotions. And so I realized that just very recently that I can tell a friend something is upsetting me without it becoming a conflict. You can say like what you were saying, like using I statements, but also saying it in a way where you're saying that this is how I'm seeing it. Please tell me if I'm seeing it differently than you. It's just a few different words. Yeah. Just the way you speak just switching can change around, everything. Yeah. yeah, instead of being like, what the heck? I see that you hung out with Suzanne. You know, instead of being that, you're saying that I feel like you're not responding to my text timely. Is that what's going on? Or are you just busy? What's going on? So being more from a place of curiosity. Communication yeah. is key in every type of relationship you have in your life, from literally your your relationship with Allah, to your relationship with your family, to your relationship with your friends, to your spouse, to everybody. It's all about communication, and that's key. And to those women who, yeah, are struggling finding friends, I think it really does start with yourself, self-work, and it doesn't mean that you're there's anything wrong with you. Just really, like, value yourself, because I'm telling you, like, when you value yourself, you're going to have people that come into your life that value you, and that's what's going to gravitate towards you. Yeah, and I think going back to self-worth, you need to invest invest in yourself, invest in your interests, invest in what you like. And I think once you do that, you'll meet people that like the same thing as you, that have the same values as you. I mean, I moved here from Florida, I moved to Chicago, and I, you know, I have a few cousins, thankfully, that live here. But when it came down to making friends, it wasn't until really I started this podcast with Duny that I started meeting people. And that really opened the door to like, me actually making friends in my mid to late 20s yeah because and and it's hard like when you do also like remove yourself from the environment that you're used to because you used to live in a different state and now you're in a whole completely different state and everything so i think that's also like a shock to some people so that's why i think once you really work within yourself that will always remain i guess like it'll remain fixed like that will never be a variable it'll always be there so look wherever you are you know who you are wherever you you end up living you end up knowing who you are your worth your value and all that stuff so that's that's really important and i think 
think you also talked about like, you know, finding purpose through pain. I think that's like the hardest thing for some people to do because when you pay, when you're going through pain, you just wallow in and you delve into it and you just are so down and out and you start victimizing yourself. But you decided to go about it completely differently, Fariha. And I want you to share that with people because I think it's really hard for us to just bloom when we are going through pain. I actually had this very strong turning point in my friendships that I think completely turned my life around. It's a very personal story, but I'll share it because I want you to understand why I am where I am. I was at one of my best friend's house. So it was a group of three of us. So um, there was three girls, there were two other girls I grew up with in my hometown. And I was always part of this trio. And I finally felt like I was in a friendship that really, you know, truly be- I belonged in. I was over at one of my friend's homes without the other girl. So we were just there together and we were hanging out and I um, happened to go to the bathroom. And when I came back, I heard my friend on the speakerphone with the other friend and they were just talking about, you know, studying and succeeding in life and things like that. And both of them were very into education. Their families were very well off and they were making sure that that was a priority for them. And, you know, she said something like, you know, make sure that you're do a better job because you don't want to end up like Fariha and you don't want to be where she is in life. Wow. Right. And so it was a huge turning point because I thought that these were my true friends. Essentially, they were just kind of had me around out of convenience and they were actually the two really good friends. And it makes me like really emotional because there were so many instances where that would happen and I would bring it up to them. And they would always disqualify my feelings like, no, 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 you're being too sensitive. You're overreacting. That's not really how it is. And I think those are the things that really chip at your self-worth because you think that, oh, what I'm seeing is not accurate. My way, the way I'm perceiving this must not be true because these two other people who are supposedly great humans are telling me that's not true. And it makes you think your perceptions of the way you see things is wrong and the way that you feel is wrong and that it doesn't have as much worth because these other people see it differently. And I think that was the most painful thing for me to experience because I realized that I was true. I was real. My feelings and emotions were real. I felt what I felt because it was there and it wasn't something I was making up. And I think that was a big turning point for me because I realized that I am whole and I'm okay. And it wasn't really those people and their opinions that made it any different for me. And so at that point, those that pain and losing those two friendships who I thought that I finally belonged and I finally found these relationships, my sisters that I thought I could be with forever and be dependent on them and they could depend on me, but they just really didn't accept me as I am. They, um, you know, they felt that I lacked a lot of things that they might not see as good quality of in a, in a friend. And as that happened, I cut off from them because of that incident. Uh, summer came around and I started college and I, and I started med school and all of that time, I think all of those instances came about from that event. I was actually planning on a whole different career and I felt like, you know, I'm not going to shortchange myself just because this is how somebody else sees me. I see myself as, as somebody stronger, as somebody better. And all that pain of those rejections of those friendships over time has really propelled me into becoming the person I am. Every time I got rejected, I would just go into my room, into the quietness, into the stillness. After I cried my eyes out, I would just really think about 
the optimistic side of it. I would think about what will I take from this and how will I grow so this doesn't happen again. And it was never from a place where I belittled myself. Because initially, yeah, I did. I, I would talk down to myself. I would say, maybe if you weren't like this, they would still be your friends. Maybe if you weren't so sensitive, they would have stuck around. Maybe if you were smarter, they would think that you could go to the same colleges as them. Just these different things that we tell ourselves. And it wasn't until I started changing that that voice in my head and saying that it's actually not who I am permanently. This, these are the scars of my relationships that have made me this way. And so really peeling back at myself, peeling back the layers and really going back to my true self, my seven-year-old Freeha that first came to America, like going back to how she was and, you know, being true to myself, having a positive outlook on life, having positive outlook in my friendships. It's hard. It's hard to talk about it because this is a relationship just because they're friends and sometimes friends come and go doesn't mean that like you said, it's a scar that you're wearing. It really does leave an impact on you. It leaves an imprint because there's it's almost traumatic. These people made you feel less than them. They made you always feel wrong and like you're you're in the wrong that your feelings are not validated. I read some literally friendships can truly, truly affect your mental health and your physical health. Somebody even said to the point where it's almost like if you have a bad friendship with somebody, you're like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Isn't that crazy? You would never have thought that, but that's how much a friend, that's why I think like we really, really need to choose our friends wisely because friendships can really impact our goals, can impact who we become and everything. But I love how strong you are that you didn't allow their impact to be a negative one. You transformed that and you realize I'm worthy of becoming whoever I want to be and I can set myself, set my mind to whatever I want, what it is that I want. And you basically manifested that. You manifested your goals and your dreams. You didn't allow these people to continue hindering you. And that's the thing. Once you end this friendship with this person or this group of people, that's it. It's done. So why do you allow their voices to still live inside your head? Like you need to cut all relationship, all ties with these type of people because a true friend doesn't dictate how you feel. A true friend shouldn't tell you, you should feel this way. This is how you should react. This, no, a true friend is supposed to be just there to give you advice, but not and not all the time, honestly. Sometimes we don't even want advice. We just want you to listen. We just want a good friend to be there just to listen, to validate our, you know, how we feel and that's it. But don't allow somebody to dictate the way that you should feel. That's like the sure sign of this is not a good friend. This is not somebody I should surround myself with, these people. And I like the face finding purpose through pain because I mean that's exactly what you did and think about like your favorite song think about your favorite painting your favorite artist all of them had to go through pain in order to create something beautiful and I think when you hear stories of success like yours and Michelle and and others it really does kind of like give those struggling and those going through those those hard times kind of comfort yeah like the pain like the loneliness that isolation it was like, it turned me into servitude. It turned me into self-reflection. It turned me into having empathy for others. Because now when I have that compassion for myself, I have that empathy. I, when I am dealing with other pay people, I'm dealing with patients, I'm dealing with people in Jenna circle, I'm dealing with other p- groups of life. I always come from a place of empathy because I have been hurt. I have been burnt. And so I see things in a very different light than a, a lot of other people do. And even with my children, you know, I see their pain and I'm able to react to it in a different way because I am very connected to my inner self. And I feel like once you can see your true self 
through this pain, you realize the pain is what makes you you. These loss of friendships is makes makes me me. And I would never ever wish to not have those because I would be a whole different kind of person if I didn't go through those kind of relationships. The pain literally propelled you to become the woman that you are today. You're like a physician, an incredible mother. You lead many organizations and you also have Jenna Circle, which we're going to talk about. But it's incredible how you were able to just turn that all around. And like you said, you said like you would never you would ask yourself, like, what can I do to overcome this? Whatever that you're going through, you used to just ask yourself, what can I do to overcome this? I think that's the most powerful question that you can ask yourself, because I think we just like I said, we sit there and we just victimize ourselves. And guess what? Nobody's going to solve the issue for you. This is your issue. You're the one that's finding issue in this. So you need to resolve it. So you have to really think back and say, how can I overcome what I am going through right now? But doing it in a positive way. You don't want to seek revenge. You don't want to like do any of that. How can you benefit yourself? How can you grow as a person from this hardship or this obstacle that you just went exactly. through? It's really yeah. not easy, honestly, because you're mourning this friendship that you thought, like these people were going to be there for the, for you for the rest of your life. And in some way, they kind of still, you know, shaped you into who you are. But you don't want to give them all the credit because at the same time, you used all the stuff that they used to throw on you. And now you've became the woman that you are today, mashallah, just a very incredible and strong woman. And I just, I'm, you're just very inspiring, Fadiha Hawallah. So that's like a very emotional and personal story. So I really commend you for sharing that because a lot of us, like I said, are not one to talk about failed friendships. We don't like talking about failed relationships because, again, we internalize all of that. We think it's our fault all the time. And I think like, it's important for our listeners to know that it's not just like one friendship that failed, right? This was a series that was in my teens. And then in my 20s, I went through a series of friendships where I lost. And, you know, some of them were my fault. Some of them were their mistakes. And all of that still shaped me to be the person I am today. And I am so in love with who I am today. All those friendships, all those relationships that where I was at a conflict with, I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm in peace with it because I have taken responsibility for what was my doing in that relationship. And then I have let Allah take course of whatever was their responsibility. And part of their healing is on them. It's not on me. So I think like when you, you also have to be strong and brave to let those friendships go. And I believe that some of us might be stuck in those friendships where we are afraid of being lonely. We are afraid of what will life look like if I let this person go? Will I have any worth without being tied to this relationship? And I think it's important to know that when you let someone go because you know in your heart that they're diminishing your light or causing you to shrink or make you feel some kind of discomfort and they're pulling you out of your own alignment, that you are sending this strong message to yourself that you are not willing to settle. So if you can walk away from those kind of relationships, that is what actually will build your self-worth, that you are telling yourself, I am worth it more than this. You cannot shrink me. You cannot tie me into this little, put me in this box. I am more than this. And when you can walk away from those relationships, that is what will build your self-worth. Wow, I love that. I really do. And I also think we have to be so grateful that situations like that happen to us. I know I know. when you're young, you're like, why did, I, why did I overhear my friend talking on the phone? But the fact that she was talking on speaker, I think that was Allah's way of letting you know, hey, she's not a good friend. You need to get out of this relationship. And I think once we're old enough and, and time has passed, we can look True. back at those situations and say like, alhamdulillah. Yeah, there's a lot of times. Yeah. I shared it before. Like I looked at a note from my friend and I thought she was a close best friend 
friend to me. Like literally we were best friends for 10 years. And when I look back at that note that she once gave me, like, you know how we used to pass notes in the hallway. Yeah. And in adulthood, I looked at it and I'm like, how did I not see that she was just the worst friend that you could possibly yeah. have? It doesn't mean she's yeah. a horrible person, but it just means between me and her, it was not a solid, good friendship. It doesn't make her a horrible. She could be nice to everybody else around her. But for me and her, we just did not gel. But I, when you're younger, you assume like, but she is my best friend. She's somebody that I have to cling on to. If I don't have her, I don't have anybody. That's so true. I didn't want to be lonely in And you school. survived without yeah, her, Yeah, right? I sur- completely survived. Yeah. And alhamdulillah, I have amazing friends now. And I know she's probably having a good life. And I always really wish good things upon her. But it's like you look at that and you just laugh at yourself. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, this yeah. is such a bad friend. Like, I look know. at this note. Like, she used to disguise, <laughs> like, the horrible things she would say to me, but through jokes. Like, you know what I mean? Mm, so Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. And it's like, it's funny you say that story because that happened to me once for two of my friends. And that's the thing. I always get stuck in these trios. Yeah. <laughs> right and so this was like two two other friendship friends and on eve i gave them each a framed picture of three of us and i remember i walked into my friend's room and she had that picture up on her side table and over my face she had a big x and she wrote down hojabi oh my god and i walked in like we were hanging out and i just acted like i did not see it and I just went on with our lives because you have such a fear as a kid. You're so scared of confrontation. You think if I call my friend out on that, we're never going to be friends again. And it's so crazy because you'd rather have a friend who thinks that way of you and is literally going to deface you yep. than, than just say like, that's not cool. I'm going to walk out of this room. And you think that somehow that makes you a bad person if you don't let go of that kids can be super super mean and I think that's the one of the reasons why we never want to lose our friends because you knew right away the next day it's like black and white like the, this today we're friends then we got into a conversation and tomorrow they could be literally your bully and like that's yeah. how scary it is because I think that's what we were also scared of because you knew there is such a thing as mean girls in high school oh my god there is and I remember one time I was some girl I overheard her say something the next day I went and I sat with another group of girls and those girls became my best friends for the end of the year mm-hmm. like it's sometimes we do need to to like leave the situation we're in and once we venture out like I know it's scary to venture out but once you do well there's so many opportunities that we're just blind by this was such a good conversation yeah. it was a very healing one for because honestly I think yeah like there's things that we struggle with when we we're younger but honestly sometimes these struggles also follow us into adulthood and I think yeah. like what important like the, the thing is like you might and I you know this sounds like something that might be hard for our viewers to understand but you might never find that friend you might never find those group of friends, but I promise you all of these things that you're going through in life, all these hardships, these heartbreaks, they're all forming you into a person that somebody else needs in their life. That's so true. And I think like it's, it doesn't have to be that you are not getting your needs met. You could be serving for somebody else, something greater. And I think that's what led me to Jenna's circle. Um, it's my Halakha group that I formed for women once I moved to Chicago. And even though this Jenna circle doesn't necessarily fulfill my needs for friendships. Um, Yes, Alhamdulillah, I've gotten so many friends out of that group. And outside of that group, we're like such amazing sisterhood. But the group itself, I, it's not there to serve me, but it is what I bring to it to serve to the community. The women that get to meet together, I can empathize with them. I can understand their pain. I can understand how it feels to be lonely. Um, when you grow up and you move, you get married, you graduate college, you work in a new city, you, you have kids, you work in a new city, it feels very isolating and it feels very abandoned. And especially, I think, as Muslim women, we always 
want to gravitate towards other Muslim women. We want that sisterhood. And it just does not feel the same with anybody else. Um, And Alhamdulillah, you know, you can have friends with other cultures and religions, of course, but I think there's like a strong sense of faith um, and spirituality in our community. And although that group might not fulfill me, it doesn't honestly matter because it fulfills so many other women. There's you know, hundreds of women in the group. And now we have virtual classes and things like that. And I think like all my pain has led me to this moment because I understand how they feel. And day in and day out, when I am serving for this group, it's more so for them than it is for me. SubhanAllah. It's it's crazy how the hardships we go through, the darkness in our life ends up being the light that we shine onto somebody else's life. Like how Allah works in mysterious ways. I just want to thank you, Fariha, for sharing this personal story because it's it's really hard to talk about these things. And when it comes to Jenna Circle, there's a lot of Muslim women in Chicago. I really am really interested in it. What else do you guys do in Jenna Circle? Like how often do you guys meet? What do you guys talk about? Because I would love to join once, obviously, the pandemic is over. <laughs> yeah, as soon as the pandemic is over you know we meet once a month at my home um we have different activities we had like a galentine's event we have paint night um you know all sorts of different fun things like we like really do it up for thanksgiving you know the entire point of that is to have a place where we all fit and belong and you know like you see a lot of times on instagram where friends will get together for friendsgiving or they'll get together for galentine's but that's just their circle group of friends And I wanted to be that person who has that for every single person. You can have a sisterhood. You can have friendships too. So I really like to do them up. I don't like to just like, you know, throw on a tablecloth. Like I like to make sure I'm doing it as if I'm doing it for my close group of best friends. It's a collaboration with all the other women that are in the group. And mashallah, everyone is just so supportive and loving towards each other. Um, You know, we all come to this group with our own insecurities. We all have our faults, myself included. And what I want people to know is that when you come to this group, you bring your pain with you. You bring your solitude with you. You bring your isolation with you you bring all these hurts with you but we're here to get you through that and i think the biggest component of it is the spirituality um we have an alama a scholar who does the classes for us her name is alama sukina along with a lot of different guest scholars and teachers that come to the class and i think it's a spirituality that really binds us together and you know during ramadan every single dua i make is that I pray that all the women who gather in Jannah circle, we meet again in Jannah um, under so the shade of the Prophet uh, and have the Prophet lead this Halakha group for us. I just think it's like the most beautiful picture for me to imagine that we're all sitting together in a big circle and the Prophet, peace be upon him, is the one leading our Halakha. Oh God, my God, so chills. And I know so many women probably want to join this after hearing this You know, in the Chicagoland area. How can they join? So you guys can follow us on Instagram. Um, it's Jannah, J-A-N-N-A-H, Circle on Instagram. And inshallah, we can connect you with the right places. Um, and inshallah, we can be of benefit to you. And can you uh, remind everybody of your own um, handle too? Because mashallah, you, you have a lot of amazing and informative snaps that honestly help like from just like raising kids to just marriage to everything else, to everything in between. Yeah, yeah. My Instagram handle is the Dr. Mommy. Love it. Um, and so, yeah, I recently just started my Instagram and I have this huge passion for all these things I've talked to you guys about. My entire Instagram is about healing and growth and, you know, self-development. These are all the things I'm very passionate about. 
And I want to bring that to every women's house. I want to bring it to your children. I want to make sure that we can be the best we can be while we acknowledge the wounds that we have from our childhood, while we acknowledge the pains that we have incurred throughout our life. That's what makes you whole. That's what makes you beautiful. And I don't want us to ever look at those things as deficiencies. I want that to be what powers you to be better. And I want you to persevere through that pain. Inshallah. Honestly, like it's an honor to have you on, Fariha, because I mean, our common goal here, like our mission is to like cultivate a sisterhood. And we're trying to do that through conversations. And mashallah, like you're doing that with like in-person gatherings at your own home, which is like the, you know, it's, it's just so nice. It's beautiful. So I just really, really want to thank you, Fariha, because you shed light on so many things and you open our eyes to so many of these things, like from just, you know, our relationship with our parents to our relationship with ourselves to friendships and everything in between, because these are things that we deal with every single day you know what I mean that's just the way life is you're going to deal with people face to face so it's just beautiful that you were able to open up to us and share these personal struggles because sometimes it's really not easy talking about these things out in the open it really isn't seriously thank you so so much and I know this conversation yeah. helped so many women listening who are trying to find that group of we're friends the that they boat. find comfort in yeah yeah <laughs> thank you for the yeah. yeah thank you and thank you guys for having me and um whatever good I said of course it's from um, Allah alone. And I'm sorry if there was anything that didn't make sense or any No, you were amazing. You were amazing. <laughs> Another therapy session in the books for us, Zaina, because yeah. honestly, it was really oh, good. Awesome. I love it. Oh, you okay. too. I'm so, so happy much. to be back. And inshallah, we get to really meet in person because this is crazy. Like, we have to record remotely because of the pandemic. Who knows what will yeah. happen? Inshallah, inshallah fair, honestly. Everything is honestly in Allah's hands, just like you said. So, whatever Allah wills will happen. Thank you, Fariha. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jazakallah khair. I really have to applaud Fariha for being so open and vulnerable about her past relationships, her past friendships. And I think it's okay to admit that we all have failed friendships because sometimes it's like trial and error. Sometimes you have to meet people and you have to go through those experiences to see if they're the right fit for you. And sometimes you're going to meet toxic people and sometimes those, those toxic relationships are going to teach you life lessons that you're going to carry throughout the rest of your life. And like Fariha is doing, she gets to pass those lessons on to her kids. Yeah, mashallah, she has such a strong connection to her kids. And I, I love how she doesn't have the normal family, not I don't want to say family dynamic, but the way her family is structured, it's different. It's not your typical like, oh, my kid is two years old, let me send them to preschool, which that's fine. Some people do that because they want their kids to learn at a young age. But she is you know, taking this approach so differently. And I think it's beautiful because I feel like once her kids grow up, they're going to find somebody like a, a best friend within their mom. They're still going to respect her as a mom, but they're going to have that relationship with their mom where they can come to her with anything. Because I think when we were younger and we went through failed friendships, it was not easy because it's like, how do you open up to your mom? Especially when your mom kind of already had a gut instinct about your friends. My mom was good at that. She knew which friends were good and which ones were not. Oh, I don't know yeah. if your mom was oh, the yeah. same Oh yeah, 100%. It, and you didn't want to believe your mom. You're like, you don't know them. I know them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're the ones that pass notes to one another. You don't know us. But it's like, she was always on point. And when you do have a failed friendship it is no different than having a failed marriage or a failed relationship because you guys this it's is a somebody, breakup yeah it's a it's still a breakup and when i went through it it was the hardest thing ever because i think there's just a lot of layers to failed friendships because you start peeling back the layers and you start thinking like was it me was it them what am i doing wrong what did they do wrong what do i want in a friend do i even know who i am as a person why am I, you know, navigating, gravitating towards people who are not good for me? Because sometimes it does end up having like a domino effect where it's like one bad friend after the next. And I know it's hard for us as adults to tell kids like, hey, 
it's okay. Like, it's okay that this friend hurt your feelings. No, it's it's hard at any age when a friend hurts your feelings. And I mean, I remember one experience for me where this girl was terrible to me. I finally let her go, made some new friends, and she was like glued to my side because she was like, how can you move on? Like, this mm-hmm. is something that I don't understand. But moving on from toxic relationships, it might hurt, it might sting in the present, but it's doing you a favor once you're able to actually move on. It's like, it's so different when you're an adult though too. It's yeah. like, because I feel like sometimes we're all still in the same setting as people who, we're not friends with anymore but not only that it's even hard just to find friends as an adult and I think the more I guess we are in tune with ourselves and our self-worth we start to realize like okay this is a good person for me and I don't need 10 of this person at least Mm -hmm. I have this one good friend and I I, my friend circle is very small and I'm and it's not like oh yeah small circle but no it's it just that's the way it is that's how that's what you're comfortable with and that's what I'm comfortable with at my age You know, if you guys met me maybe 10 years ago, I was a whole different person. The whole world I was friends with. And that is something I would not be able to do now. And it's just, first of all, responsibilities. We don't have time for that. Second of all, it's just like you really start you know, you go through a lot of things in your life and you want to be surrounded by people who are there for you and understand you and they're not just filler friends. And it's funny how many people kind of like drop out of our life once we get busy. Like there are friends where I can text my friends back in Florida once a month and we're still best friends. Like yes. I don't have to constantly be texting and hanging out with them to still consider them my best friends. But I feel like a lot of people don't. They need that constant, like I need to be over your house every day. I need you to text me every hour. Like I think friendships grow and if you as a person aren't growing then then you just drop out with people i just don't think you should rush into friendships because i know we live in a social media world where it's nice you see a lot of gatherings and stuff like that but you know i don't want to say speak for all gatherings but sometimes those people are not really as close as they make it seem like they are so don't rush into friendships find your clique find people who really truly understand you and respect you i think respect is the number Mm, one key 100 percent. don't think that oh i don't have 10 friends like this girl and you know what i mean it just sounds very catty we're in an adult age where we don't have time for that you just want quality people in your life and that's all that truly matters So again, do not rush into friendships because you feel like you're the only one left out that doesn't go to social gatherings or whatnot. And honestly, here at Unsween Unfiltered, we want to start, inshallah, having more gatherings once. I would love that. Yeah, once this quarantine is over because our first gathering, it was so successful. And when I say successful, it wasn't because so many of these women showed up, but so many women I noticed showed up by themselves. And that's what I wanted. I wanted them to be able to show up by themselves and be okay with that. You don't have to show up with your squad or feel like, oh my God, this is embarrassing that I'm showing up by myself. I started going to things by myself. Just go and find friends and through that I think that's the beautiful thing that you can do for yourself so inshallah you guys enjoyed this episode Eid Mubarak to you and your family and inshallah we can catch you next week bye